0: The Missional Life Podcast, inspiring kingdom-minded
1: believers around the world to
0: live the mission of God in their lives. All right, welcome back to the Mission Live podcast. Today we have Dr. Jeff Myers. Dr. Jeff is one of America's most respected authorities on Christian worldview, apologetics, and leadership development. He's the president of Summit Ministries as well as the author of several books, one of which is an ebook on cancel culture, which is he is here to discuss today. Dr. Jeff, welcome to the show.
1: Welcome.
0: Hey, thanks, Dan. Hi, Amanda. Hey. You know, before we get into the subject of your new book on cancel culture, could you share a little bit about yourself and your work there as president of the
2: Summit Ministries? I'd be happy to. Well, Summit Ministries... Based in Manitou Springs, Colorado, which is a little hippie town right at the foot of Pike's Peak, you all came here and visited. I'm sure many times when you during the time you lived in Colorado Springs. Oh, yeah. But oh, yeah. um, it, Manitou, we, we just were, we're based out of this antique hotel called the View Hotel, and we invite students to come every summer for two weeks at a time, so we can equip and support them to embrace God's truth and to champion a biblical worldview. We have leading Christian apologists and economists, and philosophers, and theologians, all of whom love Jesus and want to help students grow stronger in their faith, find answers to their tough questions, and be prepared to be the kind of leaders our culture desperately needs. So my own story was I attended a Summit Ministries program when I was in high school. Our family had moved from Detroit, Michigan to Great Bend, Kansas, which is culture shock, as you can imagine. (laughs) And we went from a very large active church to a very small country church, And I I loved the people there. I knew they loved me, but I couldn't get answers to my pressing questions. How can God be good and opposed to evil and all powerful? And yet he allows evil to continue. How do we even know there is a God? How do we know that the world was created rather than that it evolved? How do we know the Bible is a true and reliable source for life? I had all those kinds of questions. And, you know, the people in our in my church loved Jesus, but their their path to faith had not gone through those street-level debates. And so they helped me as best they could. But I thought to myself in high school, I don't think Christians have the answers. I'm not even sure Christians know the questions that everybody's dealing with in life. So, I decided that I would graduate from high school and graduate from church at the same time. Uh And I just, my parents arranged for me to attend a two week summit ministries program. They said, these people can help you find answers to your questions. So, I met Dr. David Noble. Right. Just walked right up the staircase into this antique hotel, walk in the lobby, this, this beautiful antique lobby with the antique front desk. And there was Dr. David Noble standing right there. And I said to him, I oh, hope you have a lot of answers because I have a lot of questions. <laughs> I was, I was 17 years of age at the time, you know, I thought I'm all this. But he he said to me something that really caught me off guard. He said, We aren't afraid of questions at Summit that is what i needed to hear because i know life is complicated and answers are hard to find i know discovering truth is possible but it's difficult i knew all of that what i needed was to have somebody say we're walking alongside of you as you ask your questions and to to help you find answers Mm. i also knew that it was my own responsibility to go in that way so that began a, a, a a real departure in my spiritual journey, which led to ultimately my coming to faith in Christ. And now here we are decades later, I won't tell you how many decades later, I have ah. the opportunity to be the president of Summit Ministries. So good.
0: You, you know, you, we've heard like the, the 1040 window, but we also have heard like this Florida, I think it's 414 window 414. somewhere on there. Mm-hmm. And it's like this, you know, age kids age four to 14 are most likely to make that decision to follow Christ within that window, you know, and, and, you know, you're kind of within that window, you're asking, you're asking a lot of questions at that time. And that's, as you're growing in your faith, or you're exploring these different issues, those are the times where you have these big questions. And when you're afraid to ask at church, this is a this is a big deal. It's a really big deal, and it's a very big
2: deal. And I'll, I'll tell you just just because this might be of interest to people in your audience, because we recognize that at Summit Ministries now our, our two week program is for sixteen to twenty two year olds. So we're mainly focusing on students when they're in that transition space between high school and college. But we have developed we developed several years ago for Christian schools and homeschools a K through twelve curriculum based in biblical worldview, biblical knowledge. In other words, knowing the flow of all of scripture and how it fits together, a Bible survey, and then also character qualities. And we're just this year going to release that as a Sunday school curriculum. So there will be ways for churches and parents to to train their children to find answers to those difficult questions. Take them seriously. The question that a seven-year-old asks uh, may seem just like it's a snotty thing for them to say, but they are remembering their thinking and it is forming out their worldview. The veteran social researcher, George Barna shared with me that what a person believes at age 13 is usually aside from a significant work of the Holy spirit, what they will go to their grave believing. Wow. wow.
1: Well. Actually, we have a seven-year-old daughter ourselves who loves to ask questions, uh-huh. especially before bedtime. She just <laughs> <saying>. <laughs> that's perfect.
2: That's exactly the right time to ask, right? Because then you can postpone going to bed and, and the parents get a chance to spend some time. I love it. Yeah, and I parents
0: can't it. can't just say, We don't want you to ask questions. We don't want to, you know, we don't have the answers to those questions. You know, we have to sit there and you know. Uh, work that out with her. And yeah, so but
1: to your point, like, you know, we do take that seriously, mm-hmm. you know, for her too, and just try to maintain that communication, say, you know what, we yeah. may not know, but we can certainly try to find out, or here's what we do know. And we try to foster that in her. So. Yeah.
2: One of my friends, Natasha Crane, C-R-A-I-N is how her last name is spelled regularly blogs on this and has written several books about how to help your children find answers to their questions about God. Awesome. Yeah, we... so I, that's a resource, good resource.
1: Thank you.
0: Just on that uh, on that note, before we jump into cancel culture, what are some of the, what are one of the top two or one or two questions that you've had that are some of the hardest questions that you've come across there at Summit Ministries?
2: Well, every student, it seems, comes with the question about the problem of evil, mm. And so I'd pro- probably focus on that one the most, because it is, it's a very serious question. There are a lot of people who've walked away from their faith because they reason as follows. Well, if God is all good, then he would not want evil to continue. And if God is all powerful, he could stop evil. So either he is not all good or he is not all powerful. And they see that as a logical dilemma that cannot be solved. Of course, the biblical answer is that Jesus is the answer to the problem of evil. Uh, but what never occurs to people, the students I work with, is that every worldview has to answer that question. Where else are you going to turn for answers? The secular worldview says evil is meaningless because we just evolved. As Richard Dawkins says, DNA neither knows nor cares. DNA just is, and we dance to its music. The Marxist says if you kill all the rich people and all the priests then we will have, uh, evil will cease to exist. Oh, really? How did that work out for the Soviet Union and communist China, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, The new spiritualist worldview, which is very popular in this little town where we're located in Manitou Springs, it's a little hippie town. And that worldview says that good and evil, because everything is one, good and evil are the same thing. That if you're trying to distinguish between good and evil, you're doing something that is impermissible based on what's, what actually exists. There is no difference between good and evil. Are those answers any better? Are, you see, that's the thing that we, we sometimes think, oh, well, as a Christian, I'm the one taking a position. Everybody else is neutral. No, that's not true. Everybody has a religious worldview. Uh, it's just that most people have never thought it through and are able to defend their counterfeit worldview. <clears throat> so Christians need to be the ones prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have. There are other big questions that that students ask, but I would say that's the main one. Of course. Wow.
0: So as we kind of segue in from you know true you know truth into cancel culture, you know what is truth, and can we can we cancel it if it's not truth? You know, let's kind of go that direction. Um, so and you've who a- decides if it is true. yeah exactly <laughs> right. yeah so you've written this book on cancel culture. It's an ebook and. Um, As someone who has considerable expertise on the subject, how do you personally define cancel culture?
2: Well, cancel culture started out as a a desire to stop doing businesses with companies with which people disagree. So they don't like the business practices of a company. The most recent example is Neil Young doesn't like the business practices of Spotify Mm -hmm. because they host a podcast called the Joe Rogan Experience. And he disagrees with what Joe Rogan says. And so he said, I'm going to cancel you. Um, That doesn't really hurt the company, uh, but he is completely free to do that. He's completely free to say, I don't want to do business with you anymore. However, and this is the key thing, Dan and Amanda, it's evolved into a willingness to use online fora to bully people because you disagree with their understanding of a certain issue. That's where it has gotten to be dangerous. It has become a very dangerous kind of a way to shut down the conversation where rather than opening it up. That's how I define it. Wow.
0: Um, so tell us what are some key the key d- incidences that you see as kind of the beginning to drive our society towards cancel culture? You know, you, it was we don't like, we like, we don't as Christians like Disney, we don't. You know, so therefore we don't shop at Disney. We don't like Target and their practices. But before that, historically, are there any kind of signatures in history that kind of started trending us towards that cancel culture? Uh,
2: There absolutely are. The cancel culture, I I traced it back in preparing this ebook and and doing the research that I've, I've done to help our students at Summit Ministries and realized that the cancel culture really arises out of a Marxist worldview. Marxist worldview is a set of ideas. Their ideas say that only the material world exists. There's no God, there's no Jesus, there's no Holy Spirit, no heaven, no hell. All all that we have is here and now. There's only so much to go around. So we need to divide up the pie into smaller and smaller pieces to make sure everyone has their fair share. That's the core of the Marxist worldview. But Marxism is also an approach to society, an approach to communication, The first person to successfully, uh, tragically, but successfully implement Marxism at a national level was Lenin in Russia. He was one of the red Bolsheviks. They had a revolution. They they were able to seize control of the country. They killed all of the priests. They killed all of the, the nobles. They killed all of the people they thought would be opposed to them. They even killed other communists who they thought might not be quite pure enough. Millions and millions and millions of people died. But Lenin s- spoke in a particularly cruel way. In fact, one of his associates said his goal was not to answer someone, but to vivisect them, which means to tear them apart live as a living person, li- uh, limb to limb. Now, of course, that he was speaking metaphorically, but there's no question that Lenin perfected this idea of, of using a reproachful, angry, biting, sarcastic, accusatory language to demean and dehumanize his opponents. And if that sounds familiar to you, that very way of approaching society was brought into the American public life by a guy named Saul Alinsky, who wrote a book called Rules for Radicals in which he said, and I quote, ridicule is man's most potent weapon. Mm. So at some, at some point along the way, the Marxists decided that we don't want to have a dialogue with our opponents because that will simply give them a platform that they do not deserve. The goal is to shut them down so that their voice is not heard. And that. Is, is has become the basis of the cancel culture and certain companies facebook twitter and others have figured out how to monetize it in order to make themselves extremely profitable which i think is quite ironic given its origin
0: so essentially what you're saying is cancel culture comes out of almost t- a taking away of a freedom of speech and and freedom of dialogue
2: there's no question in my mind that that's how it, it comes about. And in a free dialogue, you might say, well, we there are two fairly distinct viewpoints or maybe three. So we're going to get those two people or the three people on stage. We're going to give them a fair shot at describing their perspective and let them engage with one another's perspectives. And then the audience can come away thinking more clearly. But the goal of the cancel culture is not for people to think more clearly. It's for people to think less In other words, you remove certain thoughts from possible consideration so that those thoughts can't even be expressed anymore. If that sounds familiar, you probably remember reading George Orwell's book, 1984. Mm -hmm. And there was this really bizarre scene in the book that was quite chilling where Winston, who's the main character, is being told by another, uh, one of his coworkers, his name is Sim. He said, don't you see the beauty of new new thought? He said, because it will literally make thought crime impossible because there will be no thoughts with which to express it. The goal was not to think more clearly. The goal was to have people think less and that could bring about transformation of society. Wow, amazing.
0: So who we know who is doing the canceling essentially. among social media giants, yep. but who are those that are being canceled?
2: Well, it, it might have, I guess it's easier for me to answer the question from the perspective of who is doing the canceling just among citizens. And it's largely 18 to 34 year olds. Okay. So it's young adults. And it is largely young liberals. So Democrats admit to being more involved in the cancel culture than Republicans do, although a third of Republicans say they have engaged Mm -hmm. in the cancel culture. Uh, So if you look at young people who are liberals, they are the ones engaging in it the most. And it's a lot of people. 40% of Americans say they have tried to cancel someone or do something that would damage the other person or make sure they aren't hurt, or ruin their reputation or get them kicked off of social media. Uh, 40% of Americans say they have participated in it and 10% say they regularly participate in it. So it's a minority of the people but it's created a tremendous chilling of free speech in America. The vast majority of Democrats, vast majority of uh, independents and nearly all conservatives say they have opinions they are afraid to share. Because they might even lose their job, so this has gotten to the place where the, it's everyday people who are being the victims of the cancel culture, not just large corporations that can handle it and don't really care whether they're losing a customer or two.
1: That's interesting. You know that cohort eighteen to thirty-four, because there's so much um, that the internet has played a role. I'm sure in the influence of that you know that particular group of people being more involved in the cancel culture so I just find that interesting that you know people who were children or came of age during the social media you know the birth of Twitter Facebook all of that um, and that is what you're telling us from statistics is the highest amount of people involved in that.
2: Yes, it, it is interesting, Amanda. I, I, have, I haven't thought through it all the way, but I, I, what you're saying rings true. You know, this was also the, the time of the advent of safe spaces on college campuses. Mm. The goal was to create a place where people could be safe from having to confront certain thoughts. It's interesting how Christians through time have always been accused of sheltering their children so that they don't have to encounter false worldviews. But in fact, in the last decade or so, it has been secular parents who have sheltered their children from the idea that anyone might disagree with the liberal values that they are proposing. And when they get to college, they freeze up and break down emotionally because they have literally never had to confront somebody else who disagreed with them and try to respond. And, and you could lay that at the blame, you could lay that blame at the feet of social media largely because it takes all of our conflicts that we might have in the past engaged in personally, face to face, and offloads them to this platform where only words can be used. And, you know, Albert Morabian in the 1960s did a study and found that only 7% of our communication is through our words, all the rest of our communication is through our facial expressions, our posture, and our tone of voice. All of that is lost through text messaging, Twitter, through Facebook. So we end up having all of these epic battles back and forth about things where you're only utilizing 7% of the possible communication. So it's no wonder that a student would go off to a college campus and freak out when they find out that not everybody in the world sees things the way they do. That's a great point. Great point.
0: So in your ebook, you mentioned 10 things to do in order to fight cancel culture. And would you mind sharing a few of those like for, for us Christians who want to, to fight back, what, what
2: can we do? Yeah, let me first of all just recommend the ebook because it's free. You can just get it by going to slash cancel summit.org/cancel. Hmm. summit.org/cancel. You can download this ebook for yourself. But the main thing I'm recommending that we do to fight the cancel culture is we recognize that it exists. We recognize that everybody is hurt by it. Democrats, Republicans, liberals, conservatives, the religious, non-religious, red states, blue states, everybody is hurt by this. And most people recognize that it's not a good way to go. There have been a number of critiques of the cancel culture by conservatives. There've also been a number of very articulate critiques of it by people who come from a liberal background. So recognize that something we share in common is that cancel culture is not the way to go. That a healthy society is based on healthy dialogue, not on self-righteous indignation. That's the first thing.
0: True. Um, yeah. The
2: second thing that I would focus on is recognize that having conversations about difficult things, even though it can be stressful, is preferable to using techniques that drive people further apart. Now, think about this. If you're coming home at the end of the day, you're tired, you see one of your friends put a surprising post on there making some kind of indignant claim, what's your likely response? If you're tired, you've already used up all of your words for today, which I do in the course of my day, I don't want to respond. I just ignore it and what used to be a possible opportunity for us to dialogue about something becomes a division between us because i don't even care enough to respond to what that person says and i know probably responding is not going to help it's just like you know the old saying about wrestling with a pig is that you can't ever win you'll get muddy and the pig likes it right so <laughs> you you don't <clears throat> you, you just it it just drives people apart So instead use something like this. I can see that we disagree about this. Could we have coffee and just kind of chat it through? I'd like to hear your perspective and I'd like to share mine. And then a third thing is, and this is where I think the ebook can be most helpful is I just give people a big list of questions they can ask in a dialogue situation because you don't have to always make statements. Some people get so afraid. I can't talk to somebody who disagrees because I haven't mastered all of the facts. You know, I'm not Ben Shapiro or whatever. You don't have to be. In a real conversation, you're asking questions of the other person. What did you mean when you used that term? How do you know that is true? Where did you get your information to support that viewpoint? How did you arrive at that conclusion? Those sorts of questions create a dialogue that, helps people come together rather than push them apart.
0: I think it's so important for Christians too, because, you know, as Christians, we're called to love, love our neighbors. Right. And so when we're not listening to them, when are when we're just automatically disgracing them, really uh, we are not doing what our father, you know, Jesus asked a lot of questions, didn't he? And so we, really need to seek first to understand and then to to be understood you know and so many times we were talking with a, another apologist recently and he was just saying how the doors open when you ask questions what other people think it just automatically opens the doors whereas if you just come at them with with an opinion on something they people back off you know and then and then after you've shared with them or you've asked them they all, a lot of times they ask to what you think and then Asking for permission is another way of just asking, Hey, do you mind if I share what I think about just those sorts of things, just love and respecting another person as an, as an individual and have, respecting their opinion, regardless of what it is, uh, can open so many doors as Christians.
2: It can, if you just communicate that genuine respect, you know, I've heard a lot of sermons on the teachings of Jesus. I've heard very few sermons. In fact, I don't think I've ever heard any sermons on the questions of Jesus. But in the gospels, Jesus asked 288 questions. Wow. It would really be worthwhile to go through the gospels and see how Jesus used questions to start conversation and invite relationship, even with people he knew would never agree with him. Great point. Wow. What about,
0: you know, you mentioned 10 things that people can do. What about 10, 10 things that people can Say, you mentioned, can you share with us a few of those?
2: Yes. Yes. First of all, I, I did mention some of the questions that we teach at Summit Ministries. We have a core set of questions we want our students to memorize and be able to use, whether they're in class, standing at the counter of their fast food restaurant where they work or wherever they happen to be. So asking questions is really important. But another thing is just communicating that we do not have to give in to fear. This is really significant. The the level of anxiety and depression in our society today is is extremely high. The Mental Health Association says that of those young adults they've screened for depression, 90% screen moderate to severe. Now think about that for a minute. People are so shut down. It's interesting how People get intellectually shut down on college campuses. When I was a student, everybody would say, well, you know, Christians are the one who shut down the conversation. The Secularists, we open up the conversation. You know, we have open minds. Now we're in exactly the opposite situation. Where on a college campus. You are being shut down in your class. And you have the opportunity to be the open-minded person by opening up the discussion there you can communicate that in a lot of ways you might say there's a lot of stuff to be nervous about but we are not helpless we do not have to be overcome with fear you can also communicate to the other person that you value them as a person we might disagree i just want you to know in case it's not uh, clear and in case i get grumpy sometimes and you kind of get the wrong impression i really value you as a person that you have dignity in the eyes of god i have dignity in the eyes of god And so this is not about whether we have dignity. This is about walking side by side to approach the truth. And then the final thing I'll share about this, this is really important. One of our authors at Summit Ministries is named Jason Jimenez, and he wrote a book called Challenging Conversations. He he pointed out something that's really simple and obvious in retrospect, that most people move along a one-dimensional line from aggression to avoidance. The aggressive is, you know, watch, watch so-and-so completely smash the arguments of so-and-so in 15 seconds, right? Uh-huh, we, all, yeah. we love that sort of video. That's the aggression, mic drop moment. The avoidance is, well, you have your truth, I have mine, or I guess we'll just have to agree to disagree or no one can say for sure, right? Mm-hmm. Most people go back and forth on that, that single dimension we suggest adding another dimension, turn it into a triangle. At the top of the triangle is the word advocate. That as Christians, we are advocates for two things, for the truth and for other people. What does that look like? It just is something that happens for us every day. If you were to ask an employee at Summit Ministries, what is your job? They will draw out a little DNA double helix, two intersecting lines, and they will say, One strand is truth. The other strand is relationship. And my job is to put the connecting nucleotides between truth and relationship for somebody every day. That's the core of my job. But I think that should be the core of every Christian's approach. No matter what we do for a living, no matter how we live our lives, we have the opportunity to put those connecting points between truth and relationship for people every day.
0: Well said. Yeah.
1: That's so good. Just finding like, what do we have in common and connecting it from there, you know, and just meeting people where they are and creating those lines. That's so good.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We have a lot of things in common. We all want to know, am I loved? Do I have a purpose? Why can't we get along? What hope is there for the world? We have quite all of us have those kinds of questions regardless of our worldview
0: right and and actually we just recently came across data that some of the most googled questions in the last year universally are what happens after death are we near the end of the world um you know what re- what are the major religions of the world so those are the the questions that people are asking and uh, so you know people are dealing with this whether they voice it or whether they whether they don't so in your research did you come across any data of Okay, I've been I've been canceled myself. Now what? What do people do when they have been canceled? Do you did you come across any research on that?
2: I don't that's a that's a really good question, I guess, by which I mean I have to pause while I try to think of the answer. I, I think I've known a lot of people who have been canceled and or people who've been attacked in a way that they think will lead them to being canceled. One thing to keep in mind is that for most people it's very short term. If you were the object of a twitter storm 3 days from now, no one will remember. <laughs> That's true. You know, even if 100,000 people commented, no one will remember. They'll have gone on to something else. That people who are who like to attack others just go on from one target to the next. So don't think that your reputation is destroyed because you have been canceled. Second thing is to continue to speak the truth. The third thing is to evaluate yourself. Maybe you spoke in a way that you realize, hmm, in retrospect, I would have said that differently. Well, learn lessons from that. You can sometimes reach out to people who have canceled you, try to have a dialogue with them. That's, it's rarely productive, but occasionally it, it can be helpful. And then the most important thing of all is just to go ahead and get offline and meet people, be with real people in real situations, face-to-face. Our online, online lives are not our real lives. If, if the sooner we recognize that, the sooner we'll break the stranglehold of social media companies, that are using our desire to connect to earn billions of dollars for themselves and to control what we think
0: wow so important yeah. that that desire to connect and we're connected in so many ways but we're so disconnected in so many ways in fact in so many more ways we're disconnected i right. would say yeah yeah so tell us again where can people find and download the book and where can people connect with you and with summit ministries
2: uh, our website is summit.org. The ebook on the cancel culture is just summit.org slash cancel. You can download a copy of that for free, but come to summit.org. If you know a 16 to 22 year old, or if you are a 16 to 22 year old, we want to have two weeks with you this coming summer at our place here in Manitou Springs, Colorado, or at our other location, which is in lookout mountain, Georgia, on the beautiful campus of covenant college. And those two locations, students' lives will be transformed this summer as they meet with significant thought leaders who give them information and training and also help them find answers to their difficult questions so they can embrace God's truth and champion a biblical worldview in every area of life. This could be the summer of transformation. Let's not miss the opportunity. Amen. Amen.
0: Dr. Jeff, thank you so much for being on the show. What an honor. Thank you for what you're doing for the kingdom and defending the lines of truth.
2: Well, thanks, Dan and Amanda. Great to visit with you.